What are the four branches of the Mabinogi? But perhaps more importantly, who gets to say what the four branches of the Mabinogi actually are? I'm going to be talking about the work of one of the greatest scholars of Celtic literature in the 20th century, W.J. Griffith. He was also a fantastic Welsh poet uh, and is perhaps better known as a poet in Welsh culture than he was as a scholar. In 1953, he writes uh, a very uh, interesting book, Rhiannon, and he publishes it only a year before he dies. And it's quite likely that he'd been working on the material in this book for decades before it was published. It's really part of a series of studies on the four branches of the Mabinogi that he begins back in the 20s. Rhiannon is an ingenious discussion of the different sources for the first and third branches of the Mabinogi, but it's also a very contentious book. By today, not many scholars would outright celebrate W.J. Griffiths's academic work on the four branches. Um, they would probably be very cautious and qualify their praise um, of his work. The problem that we'll come to appreciate as we work through the book is, of course, that W.J. Griffith had some very strong assumptions about what the four branches were, uh, and we'll cover some of those assumptions in this first session here. And those assumptions really led him to some conclusions that by today seem a bit unrealistic. Modern scholars today don't really take his conclusions that seriously, but I think everybody appreciates the thoroughness of his research and also the way that he constructs his arguments, the way that he presents um, different parts of the four branches of the Mabinogi as being, in many ways, medieval versions of earlier stories. Now, his work on Celtic mythology was groundbreaking at the time. Uh, and many other scholars, such as uh, Aris Loomis, for example, uh, the great Arthurian scholar, were very supportive of what he was doing because he was really trying to rummage around in the depths of the Mabinogi and find out what their sources were. And fundamentally, he believed that they were the broken remains of a once glorious body of literature and that these broken remains had been badly put together by successive generations of storytellers until we finally get to the anonymous author of the four branches as we know them. And he himself, at the very beginning of the introduction, has this to say. In the words of Alfred Loisy, who's um, another scholar who wrote the book Origins of the New Testament, Whoever has enough goodwill to see in this work, before all else, a programme for the research that is needed in this field and is far from being completed, will exactly discern the intention of the author. So we need to be a little bit fair with W.J. Griffith. He kind of knew that he was at the very beginning of this type of research. And what he's setting out for us in books like Mathfab, Mathonwy and Rhiannon is what he sees as a programme of research that needs to be carried out and developed uh, by uh, the next generations of Celtic scholars. 
Unfortunately, I don't feel like that promise was really kept. I don't feel like the programme of research that W.J. Griffith really sets out for us in books like Rhiannon was really picked up by later generations, probably because W.J. Griffith received so much criticism for the way he had carried out his research, for the flawed conclusions he came to, and for the way he really ignored some of the other developing strands of academia in the 20th century, let's say. We might come and explore some of these other strands in later series. But for example, we've got very uh, impressive figures such as uh, Professor Kenneth Jackson, who writes a book in the 60s, really criticising W.J. Griffith. And there's been a reluctance to pick up on W.J. Griffith's style and approach to researching the four branches of the Mabinogi, which I believe to be a shame. Uh, and it is something that I try and do a little bit in my own work. It's essentially uh, a practice of comparing stories and generally trying to compare stories within the Celtic tradition or at least within the Indo-European tradition. Now, Kenneth Jackson goes on to do this, but does it in a very different way and has a very different attitude to mythology. W.J. Griffith, in many ways, probably because he is a romantic in many ways and probably because he is someone who enjoys and loves his tradition, is actually quite immersed in the mythology that's evoked in tales such as The Four Branches of the Mabinogi. But regardless, what does W.J. actually have to say in his introduction? Well, one of the first things that he mentions is his ideas concerning the author of The Four Branches of the Mabinogi. Now, for those of you who don't know, The Four Branches were probably written down sometime towards the end of the 1000s, sometime between 1060 and 1120 is the official date. Uh, this period was first suggested by Sir Ivar Williams, another giant of uh, 20th century scholarship in Wales. The four branches are written down at this period, but that original copy doesn't survive. And what we have is a much later copy, of course. And W.J. Griffith sees the author of this first written copy as working in a very particular way. W.J. Griffith tells us that he's setting out to accomplish this work to correct a misconception on the part of those who persist in regarding the Mabinogi as a kind of reporter's transcript of a spoken tale. And to this day, you know, I sometimes for myself making, you know, leaping to this assumption that, well, maybe it was just a scribe who took dictation from a storyteller. So what we have in many ways is just a, a clean copy of an oral storytelling performance of this body of ancient Welsh mythology. But no. And W.J. Griffith is correct to point out that, that the reality is probably a little bit different. Instead... W.J. Griffith has this to say about the author. What the author is not is a compiler. That is, he's not a storyteller who's compiling other sources. 
because his work is an artistic whole fused together by the fire of genius. So W.J. Griffith believes that the version we have of these traditional tales is really the work of one very talented but anonymous author bringing all of these different sources together and making them work as one whole story. Whatever tests of artistry we may apply to him, he compares more than favourably with writers like Chrétien de Troyes, the author of some old French Arthurian tales, and others who base their stories on the matter of Britain. Now, of course, the matter of Britain is basically the body of medieval literature concerning Britain as a a sovereign territory. Sometimes this also includes Brittany also in northwestern France. But the matter of Britain is essentially focused on King Arthur, um, and it's one of three great matters of Europe, the other two being the matter of France and the matter of Rome. So it's one of the three great story cycles of Europe, essentially. Compared with him, these others, so these continental authors, such as Chrétien de Troyes writing in the 12th century, writing about King Arthur, giving us the, the Arthurian tales that we know and love today, compared with the anonymous author of The Four Branches, these other authors are tedious, repetitive and unbalanced. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to read translations of Chrétien de Troyes' um, uh, verse stories, um, uh, telling the tales of King Arthur and what have you. But they are a little bit what W.J. Griffith calls unbalanced and tedious in different ways. They can be entertaining, but they're not as skillfully written as the four branches of the Mabinogi. What we have in the anonymous author of the four branches of the Mabinogi in many ways is one of the best medieval authors of Europe. Um, I'm not going to be the first and I won't be the last to make that claim. But the stories are so incredibly well written. They're so incredibly well balanced. There's such brevity and economy and use of language in uh, the four branches of the Mabinogi. They at least are on a par with other great classics of European literature. So the author had to make the best he could out of unpromising material which had already been distorted during the centuries when it had been passed from Kvarwid to Kvarwid. Kvarwid, of course, there is the, the traditional title of a Welsh storyteller. A Kvarwid is someone who gives direction, who tells stories, who remembers law, L-A-W and law, L-O-R-E, who remembers lineages and legal tracts and medical knowledge. A Kavarwid is essentially someone who keeps all of the traditional law of the culture in memory, but shorthand we can say that this is a storyteller, someone who remembers the classical stories. So W.J. Griffith is claiming that the author of the Mabinogi had to make the best he could out of unpromising material that had been distorted by the successive generations of Kavarwithyai, the Welsh storytellers. And the particular version on which the author based the final account was by no means the least contaminated, as it proved by the fact that both Tidir Aled and Lewis Morn 
At the end of the 15th century, name Ariane Trod and not Goywin as the woman whose virginity math guarded so carefully in math fab mathonwi. Basically, both of these poets mention different versions of the story we find in the fourth branch of the Mabinogi. And for W.J. W. Griffith, this is proof that what we have in the Mabinogi is um, a reconstructed version of traditional materials that have been kind of forced together and forced to fit together. Now, this is one of W.J. Griffith's most mistaken assumptions, in my opinion. How do you know if you're dealing with a genuine Celtic tradition or not? The only way to be certain is to study the primary sources yourself. The best way to do that is to follow a course with an experienced teacher such as myself. There are plenty of courses that you can follow with me at the website celticsource.online. There's also a free course there for you to try out if you want to see what type of thing I get up to. It's a course on the goddess of sovereignty, a long history of the goddess from the earliest Indo-European sources all the way through to the Irish and Welsh medieval sources. Enjoy! What W.J. Griffith also appears to neglect is the fact that the oral storytelling tradition of medieval Wales, just like the oral storytelling tradition of plenty of other cultures, was very diverse and very varied. By its very nature, it wasn't a tradition which necessarily had one pure original version. There were many different storytelling lineages where different versions of similar stories about the same characters evolved at different times and at different rates and in different ways. So, for example, the story of Rhiannon, that we find in the first and third branches of the Mabinogi, may have had many different variations throughout the medieval period. It's just that we only have this one snapshot of this one storytelling lineage written down by some skilled writer, but someone who was actually working very closely, trying to make a very, um, a very accurate written copy of a traditional body of oral storytelling. Now, my own sense, and this is only a guess, because as I said, we don't really know, it's a little bit of both. I think that the anonymous writer of the Mabinogi did construct parts of the narrative and probably updated or improved parts of the story to suit their own sense of storytelling, to suit their own creative purposes. But there are also other large sections of the stories are very traditional. This makes sense to me when we consider the condition of oral storytelling in, uh, in the wilds, if you like, in the field. The four branches of the Mabinogi have many interconnections between the different branches. There are references to earlier stories, or we find that the second branch, for example, runs on from the first branch. We see that the third branch um, is connected to the first, and so on and so on. And of course, as W.J. Griffith was 
stated himself, Praderi is also a part of all four of the of the branches, but more on that later. But fundamentally, they have the feel of um, an updated and reworked, but relatively complete body of traditional storytelling. That's my sense of it, at least. Again, I can't prove it, but that's my own ideas. I think other people would tend to agree, too. These are W.J. Griffiths' basic conclusions with regards to the author, the anonymous author, and how the Mabinogi were considered in the past. My conclusions are, one, that Welshmen of the medieval period knew only the recited traditional Cavarwydid. That is, in the medieval period, the vast majority of people only knew orally told versions of the Mabinogi. And I would totally agree with that. Um, as I said, for me, that means there's no one pure version. There are a variety of evolving similar stories in different lineages. Two, that the primitive Kavarwidid, that is, the traditional story itself, as such, had never been reduced to writing, since there is no vestige of any manuscript containing such a work. Basically, in W.J. Griffith's opinion, the different scattered bits of story that the anonymous author brought together, in his opinion, had never been written down. None of the sources that the, this anonymous storyteller used were written sources. They were all oral sources, and I can agree with that too. Three that the Mabinogi is a piece of consciously original literature based on traditional material. It is to be correlated with Chrétien's poems and not with his bases. Fundamentally, we should consider this an original piece of artistic work based on traditional materials, but has many new features. is mainly an original construction built out of disparate and scattered and otherwise disconnected traditional narratives, brought together by this genius author in one manuscript. That's the bit I disagree with. As I just explained, I believe there are signs of an organic whole body of storytelling that sits somewhere relatively close to the text that we have. Not to, it's not an exact copy of an oral body of storytelling. It has been updated and reworked in some parts, but not as much as W.J. Griffith believes. Four, that our Mabinogion, as we have them, remained practically unknown to the Welsh, whose light reading was confined to the Arthurian tales, Geoffrey's Brit, uh, the um, the story of the kings of Britain, and the foreign romances, the stories of Chetin de Troyes and the, Arthur, the other Arthurian tales that were um, being developed on the continent. Now, for me, that last statement by W.J. Griffith is again a little bit problematic. It assumes that the only people we should be thinking about in this context are Welsh people who could read. Now, in the 11th century, 
when the Mabinogi were being written down, it's quite likely that the vast majority of people couldn't read. Now, the nobility, the aristocracy, the free class, were far more likely to have received an education and therefore far more likely to be able to read and write. But the people in general, the population who kept the oral storytelling tradition of Wales alive from generation to generation, the majority of those people could not read. So even though W.J. Griffith could be right in saying, well, the literate Welsh generally ignored the written version of the four branches of the Mabinogi in the following centuries. And there are good reasons for why he makes that argument. They don't appear to be referenced that much in the poetry, although they are referenced to a degree, but not massively referenced in the poetry of the time. But that's not to say that the oral versions, you know, similar types of story about the same characters, weren't actually very popular in the storytelling traditions of the common folk of medieval Wales. And I believe we can say that because we, f we find the evolved versions of stories from the Mabinogi in later folktales. I've made videos elsewhere describing how later Welsh folktales discuss and explore pretty much exactly the same themes as we find in the four branches of the Mabinogi. Not necessarily with characters uh, who are called the same names or who are even described in similar ways, but the same basic archetypes, if you like, are found in later Welsh folklore and Welsh folktales. So I would say that the the general common population of Wales in the medieval period did remember and keep these stories alive from generation to generation and delivered them essentially to the 19th century uh, and to our ancestors alive at that time. They were telling very similar tales back then too. Now, so that's my take on his conclusions. And of course, W.J. Griffith, in the introduction, lays out a summary of his whole argument, which you can go and read if you want. I'm not going to cover it here because we're basically going to cover a lot of this material uh, in the coming weeks. Now, what we also have in W.J. Griffith's introduction is some sense of where he's going to be going. Uh, and this is actually a, a really good example uh, of the types of ideas that W.J. Griffith is going to be exploring. Now, he's discussing the onomastic tales, the onomastic stories in the four branches. And an onomastic tale is essentially a story that explains the meaning of a certain place name, fundamentally. Uh, and W.J. Griffith believes that one section of the second branch of the Mabinogi is the broken remnants of an onomastic tale which is trying to explain the name of Dublin, Dublin city and island. Of course, the second branch of the story of the Welsh king, Bendigaithran, travelling to Ireland, uh, probably to Dublin, it's the closest uh, point you arrive at when you cross the Irish Sea from Harlech to rescue a sister. I'm hoping that most of you will understand that story. Basically, W.J. Griffith believes that this is evidence of a broken 
type of story in the four branches. This peculiarity of the onomastic stories in the four branches is illustrated in the hidden reference to Dublin in Branwen, in the second branch, where Bendigaidran is said to have laid down his body between the island of the giants, Britain, and Ireland. His men then cast hurdles of wattle, cluida in Welsh, on him so that they could pass over him to the other side, uh, like a, a bridge. This, of course, is to explain the Irish name of Dublin, Bolia Awa Clia or Blow Clear uh, in modern Irish, the town of the Ford of the Hurdles. But the name of Dublin, which the Hurdles were meant to explain, is not mentioned. This suggests also that the early version of this part of Branwen was Irish. W.J. Griffith has probably correctly identified that this reference to Bendigaidran being a bridge, this points to the meaning of the Irish name for Dublin. Very interesting, and he's correctly identified the fact that Dublin is not mentioned. Now, this omission could just be a mistake on the author's part, or it could basically be the fact that the author didn't know that this was the explanation for this event in the story. The author may not have known that this was originally an onomastic tale, a tale explaining the name of Dublin, just he'd inherited um, a mistaken version of it. But more interestingly for us discussing Rhiannon, that last sentence there, this suggests also that the early version of this part of Branwen was in Irish. In many ways, he's probably being influenced by earlier scholarship, such as the work of Cecil O'Rahilly's uh, History of Literary Relations Between Ireland and Wales, which comes out in the 1920s, who essentially is an Irish scholar arguing that the Welsh have received a significant influence from Ireland, and W.J. Griffith appears to agree with him. But of course, by today, we've got the work of people like Patrick Sims-Williams, who show that the influence is actually quite slight. So even though W.J. Griffith wants to present significant portions of the Mabinogi as stories influenced by Irish literature, in reality, by today, most people would disagree with him. 